Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. Yeah, I um, I think being seen as being deeper than known, and I think Hagar and the Old Testament agree with that. And so I think that if you're in your season of suffering right now, you feel like a black sheep, like an outcast, like nobody sees you, go read Hagar. We only have a, a couple of sentences of her life, but I want you to know, beloved, that God hasn't forgotten you and you're seen in your struggle. Hey, Rudder Nation. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Rut, the podcast that shares encouraging stories and practical tools to help pull you out of your rut and into a life worth living. I'm your host, Jerry Dugan, and in just a moment, we're going to be joined by Lathan Craft. Uh, Lathan is a speaker, a pastor, an author who spreads the word about raising awareness for mental health, treatment of mental health, and lifting the stigma around mental health as well as the treatment of mental health. We're going to talk about that, but we're going to talk specifically about the things that we do in the church that may be harmful to those who are struggling or grieving and the things we can do to help lift people up and be present. So sit back and relax unless you're doing something like throwing darts onto a dartboard. Uh, Maybe don't sit back and relax on that one. Uh, But here we go. All right. Hey, Lathan, thanks for calling in all the way from Tyler, Texas, right next door to where I am in Dallas, Texas. How are things going for you today? Jerry, so good. So good to be here, man. Thanks for having me on. Nice. Now, you're in like Pineywood, Texas area. You know, it's like I've been living in Corpus Christi for a while. So beaches and then <laughs> desert, some hill country. Uh, but when you want to find some real woods to go camping in, Tyler, Texas is the place to be. And then anywhere east from there. That's right. The, nice. the woods, the green. I used to live in California, so it's a complete culture. I was born and raised in Tyler, but I used to live in California. So oh, yeah. coming back to the green is uh, a breath of fresh air for yeah. sure. What part of California? <laughs> we didn't even talk about that before we hit record. Yeah, Los Angeles and San Francisco. So covered okay. both, both coasts. Um, cool. And definitely there's pros and cons of both, but yeah. nothing like Tyler, <laughs> Texas. I lived in the middle. Uh, my dad was in the army and he got stationed in Fort Ord, California. Okay. So I was right outside of Monterey for, gosh, from beautiful. middle school. Monterey yeah. is beautiful. Oh, yeah. It's so expensive, but. <laughs> so expensively so beautiful. beautiful. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, I read a book of yours that you published called The Leper in the Church. And um, if you've read it, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I know, Lathan, you've read it because you wrote it. Um, <laughs> but I was talking to the listeners just now. <laughs> uh, but the, the cool thing about it is like the modern day leper in our church. So the leper back in the day was the person with the skin condition or the illness that you had to ostracize or set outside of the, the area that the Israelites lived in. Yeah. Uh, and there comes a stigma with that as well. And and today we still have our lepers and we still treat them with stigmas. And, and your book does a really good job of identifying those things yeah. and what we do wrong as Christians. And then what we could do right as Christians to do right yeah. for those folks. Tell us a little bit about what that book covers the leper in the church beyond the, the high level vagueness. I just yeah. gave everybody. <laughs> yeah. So there's two, Really, there's two things that kind of inspired the book. Number one, as a pastor, I remember I was going through some very deep depression. And um, I I knew that as a teaching pastor in my church, I would have to, the spirit would at some point have to make me talk about it. Um, but I was honestly fearful of, of what people, because you just nailed it, like the stigma 
nobody talks about it. Like what, what would they say? And so during one of my sermons, I just felt the spirit say, you need to go through with this. And so I talked openly. My wife was obviously very, she saw me in my depression. She knew exactly what I was feeling. She gave me space and all those things. But I've had way too many people, pastor friends die by suicide that I, I didn't want if if I I didn't have any suicidal thoughts, but if I were to go by suicide, I didn't want that to be. I didn't want to go unspoken or or try to fight it. And so, um, I just opened up in the in the sermon, and I was met with after the sermon, like, man, what a great message! Well, that was that was so powerful. That was so good. And it was just like I they the the humanity of me still wasn't seen. You know what I mean? It was like. What I did was appreciated, but who I was was not. And so oh, yeah. I, I had that. And then I had, I was visiting a church in LA. We talked about California and they had the, what I like to call it's the Southern Baptist greeting time where you just shake, shake hands or hug necks <laughs> or whatever. So it's obviously pre COVID. Yeah. Um, and there was a girl who had no idea next to me. Uh, she didn't know who she was, but she curled up in a ball in the pew and said, I have social anxiety disorder and I can't do this. Um, and so these, those two moments, my own personal and just seeing people in the church go in church and have mental illness, um, that I realized that we treat these people as lepers. Um, and we can almost hear them say unclean and they're not even speaking. And this is just whenever somebody comes forth with a mental illness disorder, or there's a couple other things that are just very prominently leper like that the church approaches these people as, but all the mental illnesses, not depression, anxiety, which are running rampant in our church right now, but um, any mental illness, we just don't know how to handle it. And because we don't know how to handle it, we decide to either a like put a biblical bandage on it and just like say, Hey, here's a verse or Hey, pray more. Or we just completely ostracize an outcast of community, which neither one of those helps anybody period, especially the circle of mental illness. And so the leper in the church was a, was a combination and a, and a journey of people's stories that have experienced from their perspective of mental illness disorder, um, and how they are perceived as church and then how the Bible was used more like cough syrup than wisdom. Um, <laughs> yeah. and how it, Help, did not help them, but hurt them. And I, I was actually in Denver this past week, and it was it was funny because I was talking to a pastor across the table, and he said, "I used to be the pastor that said if you have anxiety or depression, just read the Bible and pray, like get over it." But ever since I experienced it, like I I had to repent for the years that I I talked like that, yeah. And now I can't help but try to meet people where they are. So it's just an empathy thing that needs to be more prominent in the church and in the world. Yeah, just anxiety alone. You talk about that in the very first chapter, and uh, I've heard it. Like, if I had a dollar for every time I heard somebody say to somebody going through anxiety, you know, for I know the plans I have for you, the plans to prosper you, not to, you know, I'm like, was that Jeremiah 29 11? Yep. If I had a dollar for every time I heard that used as the treatment to somebody going through anxiety, um, I could buy some people some serious lunches. We probably solve at least hunger for Oak Cliff in Dallas, Texas. You know, it's like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I hear yes, it a lot. And, and then, of course, you know, plank in my own eye, if I had to give a dollar for every time I've used that, you know, that's even more meals. Uh, so it, it's just, it's it sounds like the thing to kick out as a Christian to just say that and think we've solved the problem for somebody with anxiety. Um, but it sounds like that does more harm than good, though. 
Yeah. If, if it is hard because it's hard to tell somebody that hasn't experienced anxiety to minister to somebody who has experienced anxiety, because it's really hard if you haven't experienced it to minister to it in the way that, and I think that's what a lot of people don't appreciate about Jesus is the way he empathized with people was on a whole nother level. Uh, like he, he empathized with the one in adultery. He empathized with Jairus. Like there was so many different things across the spectrum that humans normally don't have all those like mixed bag of experiences. Um, but I, I think it's, it's worth at least, um, we research a lot of things as people, like humans research a lot of things that we care about, but we don't research people. Uh, we right? don't research, <laughs> we don't research things that people are going through. And so we try to give our best guess best wisdom in the moment without trying to figure out how to meet them in the moment. And that does a lot more harm, like years of harm than good. Um, and so like, if you were to tell somebody the verse, you're just telling somebody with anxiety, I know the plans I have for you. Yeah. That doesn't help me right now. Like, that's great. That doesn't, that doesn't meet me in my moment. That doesn't meet me exactly where I am. And Jesus wouldn't share that with anybody who's going through anxiety. He wouldn't, he wouldn't say, Hey, trust me in 40 years <laughs> or in Jeremiah's <laughs> context in 70 years. It's going to be awesome. Um, and just like ignoring the pain of the process. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where we, um, just really don't do a good job at. Yeah. What I are some really, things that Jesus would do to empathize with the person who was suffering? Like some examples that, you know, <laughs> What a great! I know we can have a lot of examples, but I mean, if we narrowed it down to two or three for that that guy out there listening, who's probably like thirty or forty years old, married with children, like yeah, yeah. Um, I think the first thing Jesus would do is is take a chair, uh, not a band aid. Um, I think he would sit and listen and let his presence be enough. I think a lot of things like you and I are talking about, and this is kind of off the mental health topic, but it still very much applies. I went through brain surgery. Uh, three months ago and flatlined three times. And in that process, I realized, and that's another book that's coming out soon. Christians in general just don't respond to pain. Well, like the, like the hospitable, like the generosity, like not even financial, but Christians don't know how to deal with pain. Like it's in particular. And unfortunately the only way you know how to deal with it is if you've been through it. And I don't think that has, that, that shouldn't have to be the cost of experience or cost of admission. Um, and so for the person that's struggling and doesn't feel like Jesus has met them there, um, Jesus is sitting in your process with you. I think that's another thing. Um, and I always think about the woman caught in adultery. Jesus wrote something to her in the sand. And Christians have spent a lot of years trying to figure out what he wrote and not the pro, not the point of what he did. Uh, he wrote a word or words to her that only he or her mattered. Like that's all that mattered to both of them in that moment. So it doesn't even matter what was written. It matters the fact that he wrote, he saw her in that midst. Um, I think of Hagar, the woman at the well, the God who sees me. Um, and so struggling, suffering is awful. But as Christians, we have to be more Christ-like in the sense that we show up uninvited um, and we just sit and we don't ask like how we can fix it. We just sit in the process yeah. because like fixing it doesn't always help, which is kind of weird to say and almost like oxymoronic to say, but trying to fix things when God is, is needs this process to happen doesn't help the process. Um, and so just being uh, honestly like... <laughs> 
which is if there is a one answer for anybody going through pain in any capacity, be stinking present like that, like show up like that's literally all they need. Um, and I was, I was thinking about just this again, this past week in Denver, I was talking to another pastor who attempted suicide um, and was going through depression. And he had one friend that would show up at his house every night. And all he would say is, I just need you to be in my life. So I'm going to be here every night because I want you in my life. And it's just that, like, I, I don't have any answers. I don't, I don't know what you're going through. I can't relate, but I know that I need you in my life. Therefore, I'm here. A lot of us feel compelled. We got to say something. Like if, if you come up to me and tell me that you're going through a tough time, you know, maybe your wife left, you know, not you, but, uh, when I was in men's ministry, you know, that would come up. Like, you know, my wife left me and took the kids and, Everybody all of a sudden starts giving advice. Well, have you talked to her about this? Have you talked about this? Have you done this? Have you reached out to her? Have you done? And like all these solutions that the person's tried and they're just not working. Uh, and then one of two solutions would typically seem to make an impact. Uh, one would come from my pastor's dad because he always seemed to be in these groups at the right time. I'm like, <laughs> how do you know? It's so cool. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> and, uh, but he would say, you know, the first thing you really need to do is get right with God. You know, mm-hmm. all your other relationships have fallen apart. Get right with God. Um, that may not fix all the other relationships that are going haywire. But if that one's not in line, then nothing else matters right now. And, it, but it was that the rest of that story though, because, you know, I've heard a lot of folks say, get right with God and all this stuff just falls into place and it'll be fixed and magical. And, uh, and then that doesn't happen either. But then when you hear in the rest of the case, like the most important relationship you need right now is the one with God. That may not fix your marriage. That may not fix or reconnect you with your kids or get your job back or any of that, but it will bring you back to wholeness and it'll start you on that path to wholeness. And it's still going to hurt. It's still going to be painful. When I heard that, I'm like, wow. And the other thing that I, I picked up on that had a lot of resonation or res resonance resonance. That's the right there word. Not resonation. <laughs> that's a made up word guys. Uh, but resonance uh, was as you've just been describing though, just, being there, not saying a word, because that's happened to me a number of times where I have no clue what to say. I'm like, yeah, oh, I, I don't know what to say. That's in my head, the internal dialogue. And then so I just stay quiet for what feels like an eternity. And then after about 10 minutes or so, the person's like, ah, thank you so much. That helped a lot. You have no idea how much that helped me to be able to share that with you and hear from you and just understand what's going on. And I, I've got better perspective now. And off they go. And I'm like... I said nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I'll, I'll take the credit. I'm like, cool. Yeah. I'm glad I can help. <laughs> Let me know. Exactly. You don't want to reach me. Um, yeah. And it, I think that, that there's a lot of power in that, you know, just being there, being present. Um, like you said, being in the now with that person. And I think when you do that, you're walking alongside them. You have no other solution for them other than you're picking up some of their cross and walking with them. And you're not going to get them off the cross. You know, I'm, I'm making a Simon analogy here. What? I did not expect that. To, I, disclaimer, I did not go to a seminary, guys. So this is just, I don't know where this is coming from. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you, know, you just kind of bear that cross a little bit. It helps yeah. the other person. I uh, love that. And you just, you never know the impact it's going to have. But just being there can make a lot of difference. And um, I think some of our prayers, the way we pray, which I've, I've changed the way I pray for people that are in pain. Mm-hmm. Because what if God, in the, their grand story narrative of their life, needs this to prove his purpose for their life? Like, what if what if they have to go through the season of pain, whatever they're in, um, to for God to teach the lessons he needs to teach to them? And for a long time, 
when I prayed for people in pain, I would ask God to take it away. Like, God, would you remove or would you heal or would you fix or whatever? Now I pray, God, would you just show up? Yes. Like, would you just reveal yourself? Because I know that I'm not the one that fixes this. You are. And I know you know the timeline and the start and stop of this. All I'm asking is for my friend to just know that you're there. Like, to know that you're not sleeping in the boat. Mm-hmm. Like, you're, you're there. And you with one word can change everything. And it sounds weird to say that people need to suffer to learn lessons. And that, that's Like, don't take that the wrong way. What I'm saying is sometimes our prayers need for God to reveal himself, not for God to fix things. Yeah. Because he knows what he's doing and yeah. we don't. Exactly. And, and it's not because he wants to cause you pain either. It's exactly. because yeah. he knows that you're going to grow from it. You know, that pain yep. was going to happen one way or another anyway. Yeah, there there are times where, yeah, he can leverage that pain to do a greater good. And I love that. I started praying that way just recently as well. Like, because it may be the person's going to pass away anyway. It may be I'm going to struggle with something for a long time. Um, So if that's going to be the case, how is this going to benefit the kingdom of God? How does this benefit God's glory? How does this you know make other people's lives better? If I'm going to go through it, Let's get our money's worth. <laughs> so that was yeah. a mindset shift for me. Uh, and in my prayer for others, like, you know, even if it doesn't go the way you're hoping with a miracle, I hope that God reveals himself to you and, and shows mm. you how to make the best of this. And Jesus gave us the best template for how to deal with pain on the cross. Mm. Just the way he communicated with the father through his pain. Father, why have you forsaken me? Didn't get an answer. Yeah. I'm thirsty. Got what some concoction of terrible drink. But then his last prayer was, it is finished, which was this awareness and acknowledgement that the pain that he'd gone through up to that point had a purpose and how the purpose was complete. And so it's just, we may never pray our, it is finished prayer of this side of eternity. Yeah. But the process is still okay. And Jesus showed us that on the cross. And an acceptance of what is, you know, that, yeah. I mean, he knew he had to go through this and he still went through it and it was like, Oh wow, this does suck. Uh, <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry, Jesus. It's the way you wired me, man. <laughs> the paraphrases come out like that. Um, no, but so good. In the end though. Yeah. He total acceptance. Like, yes, this is it. This was your will the whole time. And, and as you said, it is finished. And, um, man, it, yeah. Powerful stuff. So you, know, you were talking about, you know, the leper in the church, mental health, mental illness, really, and how we yeah. do tend to put a stigma on it. And we talked a little bit about anxiety and we think we can just cure it by saying, you know, just calm down. Oh, wow. I'm cured. Look at that. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, thank you uh, so much. Yeah. You know, so much. My daughter, yeah. uh, turns out she had screened positively for ADHD and then they kind of traced it to, um, because apparently that's hereditary and hmm. they identified the one parent who's just like her and most likely the one who passed it on to her. And so I'm trying to figure out which of my two parents had it. Um, it's kind of yeah. hard to tell. Most likely my mom, I think, cause she's like always busybody. And this is probably a tangent that's going to get cut out anyway. So I'm just going to roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> but something that she's always told by our friends is, and she's high functioning, good grades. She, you know, she's in college now, uh, but she was always told a lot by her friends would you just focus and Mm -hmm. she was like oh hey thank you so much that worked look at that and then she'd take off (laughs) (laughs) uh, so it's just it's really funny to like 
you think that just telling somebody to, well, just calm down or, hey, um, just focus, like that's the thing. But there's like stuff going on, like somebody who's going through anxiety or somebody going through depression. Um, mm-hmm. I remember there was like a stigma for a long time about getting treated for depression. So having yeah. a therapist, having to go on um, um, antidepressant medication, yeah. and somehow that was worse than what could come out of depression. Um yeah. I don't even think I have a question there. We're just as if, as if as if God didn't create things like medicine and therapy and right? those things that are good. Um, it's funny how many Christians until they need it mm-hmm. <laughs> are, and you're seeing this play out. I mean, it's a hot topic. We're seeing it play out with COVID. Yeah. Uh, people dying of COVID and begging for the vaccine as they die. And so that have been so like anti that um, as if, God didn't supply these things that are good that don't have Philippians 4.13 on them. Like somehow <laughs> it has to be brand of the Bible verse to be biblical. Right. <laughs> um, and there's so many people that literally die um, because they don't think that things like medicine and therapy are, are of God, which is insane. Um, and it's, it's a lie from the pit of hell. It's, it's literally Satan trying to tell you that you're alone and you're isolated, which is what he's great at. Um, but it's, it's just crazy how many people think that the things of the world are not of God. Like as if, as if God didn't create things that we think are of the world, mm-hmm. uh, therapy is a holy space. Medicine can be holy space. Yeah. Um, he created course, the people like, who created the thing. Yeah. 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 Like medicine is what took my mom. So an overdose of medicine can be bad. Um, but those things are so good and God does not desire for his children to suffer. So taking those things and using them to help are not of the devil. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now let's talk about how you can use CapShow to repurpose and market your content. If you have a business like me, you can upload your cornerstone long-form content, like podcast episodes or YouTube videos, into CapShow, and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part. CapShow is more than just a robotic AI tool. It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com slash CapShow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, back to the show. And our, our whole reaction to the pandemic as well, I, I, I noticed a lot of folks acting with compassion. And I, I noticed a lot of people acting without compassion who you would expect to act with compassion. And for me, like whether you were for the vaccine, I mean, I work for a healthcare organization. So obviously I was all for the vaccine, all right. for masks and all that stuff. Because, I mean, I, I worked alongside the people who shared the science and explained the science. And, yeah. um, and it just made sense. But then... Yep. Like there's compassion for those who did get sick and there's compassion for those who, you know, they're still going to make their choice. And I just remember seeing a lot of folks not having compassion for anybody who masked up or didn't mask up. And and I was just like, oh, man. And I've probably been guilty about like getting to the occasional Facebook heated discussion about mask or not masks and uh, having to catch myself like, am I being compassionate? No, I'm not. I got to stop. Okay, I'm going to back off. It's wild the golden calves we make. Right. And worship like 
literally no mask and mask are two golden castles we made right. in America. And that's what we're worshiping. And it's crazy how much we sacrifice the character of God in, our, in ourselves to get our golden calf's point across. Um, and it's sad. Like, you know, I, I'm right there with you. I look at my Facebook and I just see people that literally will talk about Jesus. One, one post and the next post literally like bash those who are making a decision that isn't one that they support. And it's just, that's not the God of the Bible. That was a big wake up call for me. Uh, many moons ago. <laughs> uh, gosh. So, you know, fallible, you know, I'm human and, uh, yeah. Presence. Yeah. 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 That's, uh, that's kind of the key thing of getting past, you know, being able to be forgiven and, and moving forward as well. And so you know, we've talked about anxiety. We've talked about how we tend to try to just put a bandaid on with a verse or a word of encouragement. And, and I love something that you had said that we as Christians tend not to know how to handle pain or respond to somebody mm. going through pain. Uh, and I, I think I understand what you're talking about because there are times where I feel like I need to say something to cheer you up. Like if you're mm-hmm. hurting, my job as a Christian is to cheer you up. And you said earlier, sometimes the the job is just simply be there, you know, in the moment with the person and there's nothing that needs to be said. Um, I think are, about, I think about Lazarus, Jesus' response to Lazarus. When he heard about him first, he didn't, he didn't immediately go fix it. Like he could have, he didn't go fix it. When he knew that he was a solution to Lazarus's problem, then when Mary and Martha said he was dead, he still chose to grieve. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that a lot of people, which those mental illness would agree with, a lot of people think that Christians don't know how to feel, um, or at least don't show emotion. And Jesus took the space to grieve. Yeah. Mourn with those who mourn. Less than the sermon. Though. I never really thought about that, but yeah. <laughs> and just just the act of he knew, literally he knew that in a span of time, Lazarus was going to be awake. And it baffles me that he still chose to grieve, which is the template for us in the sense that when people are going through pain, even if you know the solution that Jesus is going to redeem all in the end, like we all as Christians are confident that a new heaven, new earth will be formed maybe soon, maybe not soon. We still can grieve and we're still allowed the space to grieve even when we aren't directly connected to the problem. A friend of ours had just passed away recently and um, yeah, I even caught myself wanting to say something just to cheer up the spouse who's left behind. And hmm. um, you know, it was just, I think I did say some words of encouragement, but it, it, I didn't want to say any like platitudes like, hey, he's in a better place now because yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, he is. That does nothing for the wife who got left behind or the son who's now, you know, was already struggling with his own stuff, but now his dad is gone. And so it's just a word of encouragement of what a great man that husband and father was, and he will be missed. And yeah, acknowledging the pain, like, yeah, he's in a better place, but I didn't even say anything like that. It was just, we have all lost a great man. Yeah. A good man. And that, that is a reality. Yeah. Here, we've lost somebody. And, and I think just what you're talking about, I'm co-writing a book right now with a guy about empty platitudes. Mm. Uh, because like when I, my wife and I lost our first kid, and one of the things that we were told in that process while the baby was dying was um, people, Christians trying to prophesy over her mm. um, as a hope of encouragement for us. And this, what you see all the time, people like, Oh, they're going to, they're going to have a great testimony or, Oh, they're going to have a great story or, Oh, like, 
And, and, and that whole thing, sure, it's great, doesn't help. It yeah. doesn't meet people right where they are. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't help in any of my situation. Sure. Thank you for trying to attempt to prophesy. That's like the Jeremiah 29, 11 verse. Like right? maybe in 70 years will be great, but right now we aren't. And I reminded C.S. Lewis, what you talked about, C.S. Lewis, A Grief Observed, one of my all-time favorite books that he wrote when his wife died. And he talked about how people would say at his wife's funeral, she's in better hands. And he would say, she's not in my hands. That doesn't help. Exactly. Like this, this, this desire of trying to put a Band-Aid on a, on a soul wound just doesn't help. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's still lost and that's still real. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like right now. So what if I'm going to see that person years from now when I'm in heaven? Yeah, they're not here now. The pain is now. Still pain. The reality yeah. is now. Yeah, and so yeah, I, I totally agree. Like we as Christians, we as anybody, uh, but I think yeah. Christians, especially in the United States, have kind of lost our way in terms of how do we meet that person where that person is right now in a way that is needed for that person, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think on top of just how do we respond to other Christians, how do we respond to non-Christians hmm. in a way that demonstrates that compassion of Jesus? Because now that we're, now we're talking about a ministry opportunity yeah. and you know, you go up to somebody who's not a believer and you say, Hey, you know, God knows the plans he's got for you. You know, if you just <laughs> like, what you try to like convert somebody right then and there, they just lost a son. They just lost their yeah. job. They, they lost yeah. something. And the last thing they need is, you know, if you weren't such a heavy drinker, this, <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> not the yeah. way. Don't judge them because they're going through pain and, and use that yeah. as an opportunity to kick them while they're down. And I think that's, I think what I'm going with there is, you know, sometimes we as Christians think we're coming in with good intent for the kingdom for mm-hmm. that individual, but we're inadvertently kicking that person while he or she is down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you've seen that as well, or if that's something yeah. that is just beyond just my own perception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, (laughs) so many thoughts, but I, the, the non-believer that's going through pain needs authenticity does not need prophecy. Um, and I think that there's like the Christian response, the Christ-like response to somebody who's not a believer, who's in pain is back to what we were talking about at the beginning, sitting and defining reality. Hey, this is awful. This really sucks. And I think, (laughs) One thing I learned through brain surgery, which is like my welcome in, enter my conversation with God the past couple of months, is I think I, as a, as my personal devotion to God, have limited the goodness of God. Um, and what I mean by that is like, for instance, there was one, one day on Facebook where one of my friends, who's a worship pastor of the church that we go to, had a heart attack and flatlined. And then two days later, was released from the hospital. And so on that day, his wife posted about, man, God is so good. He's released from the hospital. And then the very next post I saw was one of my friends, his mom was shot in the Kroger Memphis shooting and she died. Mm. And so he just posted this post about, um, Hey, my, my, I don't, I just got word. My mom was shot in, in the Kroger Memphis and she isn't here anymore. And there wasn't a God is so good on that post. But what God was, has told me in my process of brain surgery and my process of just pain in general is God's still good in that moment too. And a lot of times we like to think that God's only good on the mountaintops, not in the valleys. Um, but God's only good in the celebrations and not in the NICUs, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but what if you could communicate the goodness of God to a non-believer in an r- authentic, real way of, hey, this really, really sucks, but God's so good. And let me show you how. Like, let's let's just process what that looks like. You got me thinking about, um, you know, just 
yeah, that what if, you know, somebody's struggling like that. And the response they get from a Christian, a believer is somebody just sits down next to them. Doesn't say a word, doesn't throw a Bible scripture out there. Doesn't talk about heaven just yet. Just there 30 minutes, an hour gives them a hug, goes on about their day. And that non-believer has that memory. Wow. I needed somebody desperately to be with me. And that person showed up. There's a TV show that's been prominent. I'm a big fan. It's called This Is Us. Mm, um, yeah. And in the very first episode of This Is Us, the, the producers are Christian. Um, and they had a moment that they wanted to talk. They want also honestly wanted to share with Christians how to meet non-believers in their struggle. Mm-hmm. And in the very first episode, this man, who's one of the main characters, loses uh, uh, one of his ch- children. He had three. He lost one. And the doctor, who is who a pastor in real life, came up to um, this man and just basically talked about pain from the point of lemonade. And at the end of it, he said, I guess um, we, you and I can do whatever the best we can to make the, whatever the lemons we've been given is some sort of lemonade. And it was just this powerful moment of like, Hey, the lemons that you've been dealt, like this, this reality that you're here, that, that, that you're living in is awful. Mm-hmm. But can I help you make lemonade? Like, can we, can we work together to figure out how to make lemonade? And it was just this hope that just breathed back into this guy's veins of like, yeah, like that's what I need. And he invited that guy on that journey. Like, yep. I love yeah. that. It's because you didn't just, that guy didn't just swoop in and say, Hey, let's make lemonade out of this. It was like, <laughs> Hey, we have yeah. an opportunity here. Would you like to? And, yeah. and and Jesus did the same thing. It's like, yeah, your life is hurting right now. You're going through a struggle. You want to try it this way? Mm-hmm. Like, he didn't just come and say, hey, repent and be good forevermore. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think you ever sounded like that. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> I think the question for the listener right now is, is your life more valuable than someone else's process? Because I think a lot of times we don't want to get into the process with somebody because we think that our time is more valuable than that. Um. But what if the biggest value of time is a process? Like what if the biggest thing, the most viable thing you can do with your time is invite yourself into somebody's process. You may not even know, or maybe you know intimately, but you sacrifice your schedule for their process. That speaks more Jesus to them than any scripture you could ever possibly read. Uh, So we've got your book that you have published, The Leper in the Church. Um, I highly recommend it because it's not just a benefit to those who are the modern day leper. I think it's more of a book for those of us who are not. So how do we respond better as a follower of Christ and represent the kingdom better than just those empty platitudes for that upcoming book you've got coming? Um, Now, I do want to invite folks, uh, check out Lathan's website, LathanCraft.com. There you'll find his about page. You'll find out about that book. Uh, What else can they find at that website, Lathan? Yeah, my podcast is called The Other Side of the Church Podcast, which deals with stories where the church is either shamed or silenced, but with hope because we believe that Jesus is real and he's coming back. And so that LathanCraft.com has a link to the podcast as well, but those two mediums are, are where you can find me. Go get a copy of The Leper in the Church. It's on Amazon. I got it as a Kindle ebook, and it was a great read. Uh, Lathan, before we go, though, are there any final words of wisdom that you have for our listeners? Yeah, I am. Um, I think being seen as being deeper than known. And I think Hagar and the Old Testament agree with that. And so I think that if you're in your season of suffering right now, if you feel like a black sheep, like an outcast, like nobody sees you, go read Hagar. We only have a, a couple of sentences of her life. But I want you to know, beloved, that God hasn't forgotten you and you're seen in your struggle. Mm. Love it, man. Lathan, I'm glad we were able to get you on here and uh, 
probably one of the deepest conversations I've had on this show in the last six years. Uh, we'll definitely have to keep in touch and glad to have you on here. Jerry, thanks so much, brother. Now, I hope that you found a lot of value in this episode, just as I have. I mean, for me, it was that need to raise awareness of mental health treatment in and outside of our church. Also, the do's and don'ts of us Christians so that we are presenting Jesus Christ as his ambassador, being compassionate, being present, and not always just having that quick idiom or Bible verse to spit out or prophesy, uh, thinking that that's going to encourage. We're not obligated to be the encourager all the time. Sometimes we just need to sit there and be present. That was the most powerful thing for me in that conversation. Let me know, uh, what was your most powerful moment or aha moment from this interview? Uh, and you can either email me, info at beyondtherut.com, or leave a comment in the show notes over at beyondtherut.com slash 316. Uh, also in those show notes, you'll find links to Lathan's book, uh, The Leper in the Church. You'll find links to his website and his platform, all those good things. Now, with that said, I'm glad you joined me this week. I look forward to joining you again next week. But until next time, go live life beyond the rut. Take care. You know, the best thing I love about Cap Show is that they have one of the best communities ever. As a Cap Showian myself, I always get invited to masterminds with industry leaders to get the insights and marketing strategies that take my business to the next level. Plus, they love surprising and delighting us. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day free trial with the Capshow team today and join me inside that community.